Welcome back to Graceway DC, a weekly podcast bringing you sermons from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church of Washington, DC. For this week's sermon, Pastor Brad Wells continues in his mini-series on the Ten Commandments. It's now time to take a look at the Eighth Commandment, Thou Shalt Not Steal. This commandment may sound simple, but Pastor Brad shines a light on some areas of life where, perhaps, we need to revisit our commitment to following this commandment. Now let's join Pastor Brad as he opens the Word. Take your Bibles, if you would, go with me to Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we are talking about providential public policy. We are in the public policy capital of the world. And uh, God has decreed some laws, laid down some, um, some rules and some mandates for all people of all time. Now, these are not rules to get to heaven. The Ten Commandments were never given to get anyone to heaven. They are uh, the commandments of civility in community. They are rules both to make and to keep things right. And today we're dealing with the Eighth Commandment, and that rule simply is, Thou shalt not steal. It's verse number 15, Exodus 20, and verse number 15. I'd like us to read those four words together. Everybody ready? Thou shalt not steal. It was Karl Marx that summed up the theory of communism in one sentence with this statement, abolish all private property. That's Karl Marx. And anytime we withhold from or take anything from another, we violate this eternal law. We can be guilty of theft, of stealing time, money, affection, courtesy, and maybe the most obvious, possessions. And to steal has many synonyms. To defraud, to cheat, to misappropriate, to swindle, to swipe, to embezzle, to get your own five-finger discount, and many other little things that we say. Before we go any further, I would like to come to the Lord and ask for His blessing as we look at His eternal Word. Father, we come before You knowing that You are the giver of life. You are the owner of all things. All things were made by You, and without You, nothing can consist, consist or exist. And so, Father, we come before you dependent upon your Spirit, giving full attention to your Word. And, Lord, we are praying for your church. Lord, that we could be aware of your rules and your laws, and we could be part of the solution, the medicine for a sick society. As you said, we could be both the salt and the light making a difference. Lord, I pray that everyone here would receive something, not really from me, but from you. And Lord, we take this great responsibility of speaking, teaching, and learning your word with great respect and reverence. Bless us now in this time, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Now, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, the Bible says that it is the Father's job. So I'd like all the males to raise your hand. All the males, raise your hand. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7 says this. And thou, and it's speaking to the men, shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The them there, teach them diligently, is the laws of God. Specifically, the Ten Commandments. And it's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's not really the preacher's job. It's not the community's job. It's not the public school's job. It's not the president's job or the prime minister or the king's job. It's the father's job to teach the children. And, and then there's four specific places that this teaching is supposed to be done. And it, it's not some grandiose thing, well organized. It's very, very simple. Look at it. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, no matter what size house you have or what, whatever you've got when you're sitting there. That's what's supposed to be on your mind. When you sit down and you have nothing to do, what are you doing? We're just chilling. What are you chilling about? We are talking about the laws of God. And when thou walkest by the way. Now that's a different little neurological pathway, a little different element going on in your mind. One, you're in, in your comfort zone. Two, you're out of your comfort zone. You're walking, you're driving, it's your commute. And when thou walkest, by, uh, by the way, and when thou liest down. Now, this is the last thought of your mind. As um, thoughts and impressions are moved, being moved from the short-term memory to the long-term memory through the sleep process, and that, that happens actually electrically and chemically, we're supposed to have that last thought in our, in our minds as the laws of God. And when thou risest up. The first thought, the first thing we should do. I brought my phone into the uh, pulpit here uh, just, just to show you. This is one of your greatest enemies. This is one of your greatest enemies. It's very easy for your friend or some influencer that you happen to follow, whether they're good, bad, or ugly. They're probably not ugly, but whether they're good or bad. Um, and whatever they put up that day, it's very easy for this to be that last thought. And very easy for this to be your first thought. You need to fight this. You need to fight it. The last thought needs to be intentional about God and righteousness. And even those that don't even believe in God or His Word say it's very dangerous to give your, your, the last few minutes of your waking day of your consciousness to screen time. Don't do it. And the first thing, don't check your email, don't check this... To, even if your phone's going off, you get your mind wrapped around the things of God, the Word of God, the love of God. Now, the Eighth Commandment, Thou Shalt Not Steal, I'm giving it this title, Protect Private Property. Protect Private Property. The Eighth Commandment repudiates communism and socialism, the abolition of private property. Now, there's many criminals that would take advantage of your property and your things. I think three main categories that would break the Eighth Commandment. Criminals. Uh, but we're here in D.C., so corrupt Congress members, I believe that would be applicable. And maybe one of the greatest categories of all is corrupt clergy. That is church, things done in the name of God, where... You steal from God or from God's people. Now, restoration is absolutely key 
when it comes to theft, to make things right. If I stole your car and then I started feeling bad about it or I was about to get caught and I came up to you and said, you know how your car got stole last week? Oh, yeah, I mean, I've been walking everywhere and everything's lost and, and it's been a, the worst week of my life. I said, you know what? That was me. I'm sorry about that. I'll catch you later. You, would, you might have a problem with that, <laughs> especially if I was jiggling the keys while I was talking to you. <laughs> but a lot of times that's what we do. The Bible speaks of restoration. We're in Exodus 20, the giving of the law, Exodus chapter 22, so just two chapters later, speaks of restoring. In verse number one, it speaks of restoring fourfold of a sheep or fivefold of an ox or, or of a cow. That, that is, you are to restore. And if a thief is breaking through and he, and he, to steal and he dies in the process, there is to be no criminal charges placed on whoever was trying to protect their private property. As a matter of fact, Zacchaeus, when Jesus was hanging out with low people, Zacchaeus uh, climbed up in that tree there and, uh, and, and he got right after seeing the Lord. And he said, I'm going to restore what I've stolen fourfold and I'm going to give to the poor. And Jesus commended that. Jesus said, that's right. You need to restore fourfold. This is all summed up. It's detailed in the Old Testament. We'll look at a few more verses as we walk along. But I want to develop three thoughts that are given in the New Testament. It's, this is not just an Old Testament concept. And that is Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 28. And it says this. Let him that stole, eighth commandment, steal no more. Okay. And there's the doctrine of replacement. You can't just stop doing something. You've got to replace that. And here it is. But rather, instead of that, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so there's three thoughts there. You've probably already seen them. Let him that, steal, uh, that stole steal no more. That is integrity. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that is industry, that he may have to give to him that needeth, and that is generosity. So in our remaining time, I want to develop those three thoughts, and I want you to be open to the Lord speaking to you. I believe that God has created us and created us for his order and for his design, and when we both adopt God's plans and views and thought processes, we enter into his blessing and uh, we see the purpose for our lives. So number one, ethical integrity. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse number 17, the Bible says this, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. So let me read that, and then you be all the people. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. That is, private property is not to be fiddled with. You are not to be moving things around. When we moved into our, uh, our little house, I was mowing the grass, and my next-door neighbor, Sonny, came out, and we were chatting. I turned off the mower, and then I started mowing again, and I didn't know exactly where the 
property boundary was. There's no marker or, or anything, and our yards connect. And so I just said, is that tree where our border is? And he said, the last owner thought it was. And I said, oh, is that, is it over here, over there? He said, you mow to the tree and I'll mow to the tree. And I went, okay, that's great. <laughs> borders are a big deal. And you are not to be pushing those borders, moving the fence, scooting things over. It's a very big deal. Matter of fact, all the people are supposed to say, Amen. That is, I agree. So be it. That is correct. Now, theft or the lack of ethical integrity happens all the time, even among God's people. Shoplifting, absolutely forbidden. We had somebody come in the last two weeks to our house and gave us some stuff. Now, I wasn't there. I was overhearing in the background, but the question was, oh, where'd you get this stuff? And the person said, well, I just went through the store and they no longer stop shoplifting. And I put it in the bag, uh, the basket, and we went out and I wanted to share with you. <laughs> and we what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Now, this is not just a crime against the store. This is a crime against society and every member of society, and the store itself, and the shareholders, and all the... And against God. Shoplifting is absolutely forbidden. Armed robbery, burglary. Or, if you want to wear a white collar, then it would be embezzlement. Or maybe, if you're working there at the office, wasting time. Or messing around. That clock, that time clock, is important. Fraud. There's another element, deceptive labels on, on goods. We'll develop that thought a little bit more next week as we go into the ninth commandment. I grew up, my parents were against baby food and all this sort of stuff. They were all into health food. I didn't even get to taste sugar till I was seven years old. <laughs> so we didn't have chocolate, we had carob. And we didn't have all the, we had all this other. Anyways, we had this little baby food grinder and uh, my mom would uh, grind up these little things and feed my, uh, my two brothers. I, I don't remember the middle brother. He was only two and a half years younger than I. But I remember my youngest brother, Wes, uh, six years younger than me, and he would get the, the food from the baby grand. And then we found out several of the world's leading baby food manufacturers with all the natural and all this good stuff. It's all label manipulation and hocus pocus, and it was lies. It was big lies. That is a form of fraud. This is, a, this is breaking the Eighth Commandment. Half-hearted work. Now, I know none of us ever do anything half-heartedly, but Americans almost jokingly confess that 20% of work time is spent goofing off. 20%. That means that you're being paid for five days, but you're actually only working four. That's a crime against society, and it's a crime against God, and let it not be said of us. Even if it's the culture of your workplace, we need to be industrious. We need to have ethical integrity. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 22, 
it, it says that we are not allowed to steal from our boss. Servants or employees, obey in all things your masters or your bosses according to the flesh. Not with eye service. Oh, boss is coming. As men pleasers, let's make him happy. But in singleness of heart, fearing who? God. That is, where I work, I am to be looking straight through the boss, straight through the structure that is set up, and see God. That is my waking work. I am working for God. I fear God, and I do a good job at work. I heard a funny story about a temporary employee that walked onto the job questioning what he was going to get paid. And the boss replied, I'll pay you what you're worth. To which they quickly responded, no, 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 I just quit a job making more than that. <laughs> I'm not worth that much. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 1 says, to bosses don't steal from your employees. Now in your life, you will have many times you will be able to employ workers, masters or bosses, Give unto your servants or employees that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. That is, we are to, to treat other people with honesty and integrity, and if they're worth more, you are to pay them more. And if you can get away with not paying them more, you're wrong, and you're stealing from them. If they're delivering the goods and they are helping the business or helping you or whatever you're doing and they're they have increased maybe it's their uh, work ethic or maybe their um, i don't know whatever skill has sharpened up you need to pay them and compensate them appropriately james chapter 5 and verse 4 gives this stern warning to bosses behold the hire of the laborers who, you, who have reaped down your fields, which of you is kept back by what? Fraud crieth. That is, the fields cry out. The work cries out to God. God hears something that cannot be hidden. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. Now that doesn't say the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of rest. It's Seboeth, and Seboeth is the Lord of armies, the Lord of retribution. That is, God heard, God saw, and God will repay. Tax avoidance is good. Tax evasion is a sin against government and God. Insurance is good, but insurance fraud is a sin against God. And Jesus rebuked the religious crowd for devouring widows' houses. That is, praying on the vulnerable. Praying and getting a hold of somebody that is unaware or using their trust against them. Some sort of manipulation. The prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse number 6 says, Woe unto him that increaseth that which is not his. If it's not yours, you shouldn't be appropriating it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 
in verse number five, it speaks of appropriate affection between a husband and wife and that husbands and wives are never to defraud each other of physical intimacy. That is, each belongs to the other and there is to be no fraud or defrauding. In Romans chapter 13 and verse number eight, the Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. This speaks of something that I think we sometimes forget about, especially when we live in a metro area and we're busy and we're going from here to there. We owe some things to people. And if we don't pay, it's a form of theft. It's a form of fraud. That is, we are, we are to acknowledge people. We are to give people attention and appropriate affection. As the ambassadors of heaven, we are not to be walking around in our own world, doing our own thing, ignoring everyone. Now, obviously, you can go too far, and that's weird. Okay, don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. But you should be aware that you have something that people need. And all you have to do is look at your own self. Sometimes you walk around and you're like, hello, does anybody even notice that I'm here? Be aware of people and opportunities in which you work, in which you live. Defrauding a spouse, defrauding your children, even our friends and our acquaintances of personal acknowledgement. Walking into a room, coming home, leaving home, walking into um, the office, uh, walking through the hall. And there is a, a perfectly good human walking the other way. And you're feeling weird. Don't feel weird. God made them. God made you. Look at them. Smile. That's not a sin. Relax. Be a human. <laughs> Acknowledge people. Affirm people. Give them affection and attention. People are living in an isolated world with huge emotional needs. Now, there's another form of theft, and I think we're very guilty of it. I know I have been. That is when we steal our very life from God. And we claim, this is my life. This is my personality. This is my body. This is my opportunity and exclude God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 18 through 20 speak of the Christian. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth with is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. All right, so we need to uh, stay away from these wicked sins of the flesh and of uh, sexuality. And then verse number 19 is the, um, the expression of it. The definition, the reason why. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, that is, God is in you, which ye have of God. And let's say this last phrase together. And ye are not your own. You're not your own. I belong to God. God created me. He made me. And in redemption, He bought me. 
He bought me back. He redeemed me from sin. And many people live as if God is not interested in every element of your life. And that's what makes us thieves. And the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. So our first point is ethical integrity. Turn to your neighbor and say ethical integrity. Ethical integrity. Excellent. Now our second point here is effective industry. We are to work with our hands. We are to, to labor. And that labor is the thing that is good. There's lots of things that you can do that are not helpful to society and actually you could make a lot of money from. Usually most governments criminalize these activities and say you're not allowed to make these drugs because you make money and people become dependent and you are robbing life from them and they willingly give it up over and over. And all of those things are to not be in our lives. Do not allow anything in your life that is going to make someone else your servant, make somebody else dependent upon you. Effective industry. And this is the blessing of honest labor. Sweat equity. And some of us are doing a little sweaty equity right now in church. Uh, sweat equity. And this is not just being busy, but being productive. My dad had this aversion to the word busy. If he would say, how you doing? Or what you're doing? What are you doing? Or how's it going? And you said, oh, I'm busy, busy, busy. Or something like that. He would get on your case and he'd be like, are you busy? Or are you productive? And people would back up. Oh, well, productive. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities for production. Yeah, okay. But I think a lot of times we are just busy, just keeping ourselves busy and we're doing this and it, it is not effective industry. Be productive. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10, and this is uh, Thursday's message, we had this incredible biblical statement and we were able to actually share this uh, with some uh, members of the uh, uh, the parliament there in UK, United Kingdom, and uh, on Thursday afternoon, it was incredible. For even when we were with you, this we commanded, and that is Paul, uh, Silas, and uh, Silvanus were with um, the church in the, of the Thessalonians. When we were with you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And let's say that together. Ready? If any would not work, neither should he eat. And that's that concept. And that, when that member of parliament heard that, he said, that's in the Bible. I said, yes, it is. Yes, sir. He said, that would be against socialism and communism. And I said, yes, sir. He said, that's what, that's what you mean when you say the Judeo-Christian work ethic? I said, it's right there, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Black ink on white paper, or if it's on a screen, then it's white dots on black screen. There, there you go. Okay. It's the Word of God. And see, one of the problems, and, and we need to understand this, is passive income. Now, if we were doing an economic class and we were talking about some different things here, one of the things that all of us would really want is passive income. That is, you're not actually actively doing something, but yet money is coming into your life. The problem with that is it takes away the purpose of life. Now, it helps you in a great way, 
because um, your money is working for you instead of you working for your money. And, th and that's good. And that's good. But you never, ever want to stop working. God made us to work. And as soon as the focus of life becomes entertainment and play, disaster comes in. Have you ever seen wealthy people, they have all this um, maybe education or all this money or all this opportunity uh, or the sons of this very hardworking woman or, or a hardworking man and, and then they bequeath, they, they give all this opportunity to their children or their grandchildren and then it's gone, boom. And that's the concept, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in, in two generations. That is, the first generation rolled up their sleeves and got to work. And then just real quick, somebody else has to roll up their sleeves and get back to work because passive income takes away the purpose of life. And you look at the children that have been handed everything and they're miserable. See, God made us to long for, to need industry, effective industry. The Jews have a proverb, the Hebrews have a proverb, to not teach children how to labor is to teach them to steal. We must labor. And we don't work for money because you're going to give money. Listen, we're Americans. Even the poor people are richer than most everybody, not that is just alive today, that has ever lived. You know, we that would consider us ourselves oh we're middle class live a lifestyle that kings couldn't have even dreamed of well i want to eat grapes i want to eat peaches i, I want to eat a steak i want to drive across town i want to get in a boat we could do it oh you know what i'm going to fly across the continent we could do that this afternoon most any of us we have um, the opportunity to borrow lots of money too much money which is another problem. Listen, we are blessed. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are blessed more than you know. You're blessed more than you know. More than you realize. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 12, we read verse 10. Don't, if you don't work, you don't eat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 12 says, Now, this, now them that are, are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. That is, we are to be active. We are to be pursuing industry. We are to look to make a difference, that is, be effective. And we are not to get tired of it. You're not to be exhausted. You ought to get to retirement age, 65, 70. And maybe you step away from a job. But that just gives you more time to get something done. And don't you retire. Get to work. There is so much to do. You say, well, what's the proof of that? Listen, if your heart is beating, if you still have a pulse, if your brain is still working, God has a job for you to do. You were created, you were designed by our Heavenly Father to make a difference and you are to be involved in effective industry. Now, it should be bringing joy. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verses 18 and 19 don't speak of the joy of a vacation. It doesn't speak of 
joy of a new set of clothes or the joy of a, the latest new toy or whatever it is. The king, the wealthiest man during that time said this, Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all what? His labor. Now, if you don't read it right, you think, oh, it's good and comely to eat and drink and enjoy. But that's not what it is. It's his labor. There's nothing else like the satisfying feeling of a job well done, especially when your hands are sore and your back aches just a little bit and you're like, I got it done. I remember when one of those office companies made these big red buttons that said, well done, well done. And I got that and pushed that, and my wife went, that could be addictive. <laughs> I want to hear that. And that's what this is talking about. All his labor that he taketh under the sun, all the days of his life, which who gave him? God. The blessing of God is work. The blessing of God is a job that God giveth him, for it is his portion. See, the purpose of life is your portion from God to be effective in industry. Uh, Psalms chapter 1 says, God's blessing is upon the man that feareth him and followeth him, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper god is interested in doers and that's really what the the target that i'm shooting at right now we need to be active doers and if you are not actively doing you are not living up to the purpose and the potential that god has for you whether you have ten dollars in your bank account or ten million dollars in your bank account that's irrelevant we are to live with ethical integrity and we are to live with effective industry. Everybody gets it? Got it? Good. Number three, and we're developing that verse, Ephesians 4 and verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more. That's integrity. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing that is good. That's industry. And now number three, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And this is the word generosity, empowering generosity. You know, there is, a, there is a form of charity that makes the giver feel good, but the receiver is actually disempowered. Now, you are not living up to Ephesians 4 and verse number 28 unless you are giving generously in a way that empowers the other person. Never create dependency. Jot that down there for point number three. Never create dependency. Now, it's often been said, and I like the way it's said, people don't need a hand out. They need a hand up. Uh, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, had, have a custom that when you give charity, the receiver of it should never be aware that they're receiving something for free. That is, if you want to give them something, you need to barter with them and exchange some good, some, some goods, even if you don't need that particular thing. Or ask them to do something, even if you don't need it done. 
I think the military does this pretty well the first few years, and they say, dig those holes over there. And then the next group comes along, look at these holes. Let's fill these holes back in, and everybody gets something to do. <laughs> so let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. This generosity, that is meeting other people's needs. Not just living out my own dreams or greeds. Ben Carson, in his presidential campaign and his movie Gifted Hands, had um, a great slogan that he created. And uh, I got to help just a little bit on his presidential uh, campaign video because uh, the guy that made that, um, Andrew Garcia, a very good friend of mine, he's the same guy that made our little video, uh, two hats. He took the, that element, that biblical element, that component of gifted hands and with these hands. And he had a whole bunch of people from our church hold out their hands with the words these hands on it. And he talks about this guy builds and this guy uh, is a farmer and this guy does this. And listen, that's a biblical concept. Acts chapter 20 verses third and, uh, 33 through 35 says this from Apostle Paul. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Wow. Okay. So we're not allowed to covet. That's the 10th commandment coming soon. Yea, ye yourselves know also that what? These hands, that was his campaign, have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And ben Carson, very, very uh, wealthy man and very generous in trying to make a difference. Uh, it just He was an amazing guy. He was the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for four years. And I had the uh, amazing honor and privilege of working with him just a little bit and, and uh, was able to open several of his meetings in prayer, knowing that his concept was biblical. Acts chapter 20, these hands. Now, let me give you a help. With your generosity, we need to be giving to a specific intent. Specific intent. Be specific when you give. Don't just give. But give with a specific intent. And give with personal knowledge. You should know the person or the organization or the character or the lack of character to what you're giving to. And there should be some form of accountability. So much giving lacks those three elements. And if they do, your gift will not be as empowering as it should be. Now, you might feel just as good about it. They might be just as grateful, but it won't empower, and our gifts should be empowering. Selfish people are miserable, and parents, young parents, don't allow your children, don't raise your children to be selfish because they will be miserable. You show me a miserable child, and I'll promise you they've been thinking about themselves Matter of fact, when you're miserable, discouraged, and depressed, here's, here's my medical remedy for discouragement and depression. Here it is. Go do something for somebody else. 
Stop thinking about yourself. Stop trying to get help. You don't need money. You need to give. Go find a way to give. Misery comes from mirrors, and joy comes from windows. Don't just sit there and look at yourself. You need to look out the window and see somebody else. And see, there's two members of every society. They're the contributors and they're consumers. My dad tells me all the time, Brad, your generation are consumers. We would have never thought about how much how, uh, you guys are consuming. And I want to be a contributor, and I know you do as well. So what should you give? I think we ought to all be giving ideas and effort. Give ideas. Give effort. Wherever you go, whatever you do, be all the way there. Give attention and presence. Now, again, with the phone, it's very common to just sort of be sitting around. Matter of fact, I'll be tempted about with this, and I know you'll be tempted as well. Later, in just a little bit, we'll dismiss. You'll be out there. You'll be wanting to talk to somebody, but there's, there won't be somebody right there. And so you know what you'll be tempted to do? Social media is helpful, and I do social media stuff. But this is a social environment. Put this away and talk to real people. And it will be a little awkward. If you need to take out your phone or tell people, and you'll be like, oh, I just need to read this. Oh, you know what? It, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down what you just said. Tell people what I'm just, I'm being transparent. I'm being transparent. I am not distracted. I'm actually trying to remember. Or, you know what, I am distracted, and I just, hold Okay, you know what, this is somewhat important, but I can, I'll call them back in a second. Or whatever. But be, be present. Give ideas and effort. Give attention and presence. Be fully present. Give acceptance. Give, give forgiveness. You know what we need to give? acceptance accept people and forgive people talking about oh no man anything but to love one another accept and forgive and give love and loyalty don't be disloyal give love and loyalty john wesley founder of the methodist church said this make all you can save all you can and give all you can Young parents, let me tell you this. You need to teach your children to serve, to save, and to sacrifice. Not just enjoy. Don't use the phone as a babysitter. Those are your children. Those are your children. They're yours. Don't give them. Don't give your kids to, to whoever wrote that whatever it is. I promise you there's an agenda in there somewhere. I promise you. And listen, if you steal from God, you will cheat others. If you steal from God, you'll cheat others and you'll eventually rob yourself. You've got to give yourself back to God. Jesus said, the thief comes not but to kill and to destroy. Psalms 24 and verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. If the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein, that means everything belongs to God. 
And so that which you keep from God is theft. It's embezzlement, no matter how you paint it. And those people that give themselves to God will find purpose, will find that they can make a difference. And God wants to use you. One of my favorite stories is the story of R.G. Letourneau. He said, I want to give my life for something great. And he had a great mind filled with ideas. And he started making mechanical things and levers and mechanical advantages. And he decided that he was not going to tithe to God 10%, but he was going to keep 10% and give God 90%. You might not have heard of R.G. Letourneau, but you've heard of Caterpillar Tractors, which is what he started, R.G. Letourneau. And God blessed him. There's no limit to what God wants to do through you, only the limits that we put forward. Anthony Rossi, very similar story. And he produced and started Tropicana uh, juices and fruits in Florida. Christian, godly man that said he wanted to make a difference in the world, specifically through missions, and gave tens of millions of dollars away and helped hundreds, helped thousands of missionaries. Not, not, uh, not three hours north of us is Hershey, Pennsylvania. Of course, named after Milton Hershey. He inherited the Lancaster Caramel Company and later started the Hershey Chocolate Company. He was a godly man, made lots of money, and tried to give away money and couldn't even get rid of it. As a matter of fact, he bought a colossal tract of land in Cuba and grew sugarcane there for his chocolate factory and um, decided to sell it. His advisor about investment said, don't do it. Don't sell this property. He said, you know what? It's too big. I need to give this stuff away. And he sold, sold the land. And not months later, Fidel Castro came in and took over. You know what? God took care of him. He reinvested and reinvested and reinvested. And God will take care of you. I wonder what you're struggling with today. Maybe you're thinking you need to hold on to to keep all this whatever and you can't trust God. I want to say three things. Number one, well, I've already said them. Number one, you must give and live out ethical integrity. Don't steal in any form. You must give your life, give your time, give your day to effective industry. We are to labor with these hands. And number three, empowering generosity. So we've been given three ways to live out obedience to God's eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. You know, it makes sense coming from God who gives so freely that keeping this command enables us to live and give well. What a loving God we work for. We'll see you next time on Graceway DC.